Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at StoneBank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at ArkansasArts.org. Hey everybody, this is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. On this week's show, Nashville, Tennessee-based, high-energy, old-time music sensation, the Hogslop String Band, returns to the Ozark Folk Center State Park. Also, interviews with this rowdy rabble. Author, folklorist, and songwriter Charlie Sandage continues our celebration of 50 years of America's first national river, the Buffalo. That's this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. You may recall hearing the Hogslop String Band featured on one of Ozark Highland Radio's past shows. Well, these wild boys came through here again last summer during our String Band Festival, and we were able to record a whole new raft of music from these crazy fellows who can put an old-time twist on just about any tune. Here's how they handled a tune by the Grateful Dead.
This darkness has got to give One way or another One way or another One way or another This darkness has got to Our sets can vary a lot depending on where we are. Where we just played this weekend at Romp Fest in, in Kentucky is a pretty wild, it's a younger crowd. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit more wild. Everybody's probably a little more lubricated from alcoholic beverages sure. when we're playing. And, and, and so it can go from quite rowdy, which really does kind of embody some more of that punk rock scene. There was a moment there where Pickle almost stage died. He actually jumped, was about to jump off the stage. And then instead, we just had about 40 people climb up onto the stage with us. Sound guys are freaking out. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes it definitely goes that direction. But we what we love it, though, I mean, one thing that's very important for us, 100%, is, uh, and I'll just speak for myself here, but I, I feel like growing up in the old-time world, there's a lot of preservation that goes on when people want to, of course, carry on tradition, which we believe in a 1,000%. But we also, I tend to think about this music as being music that was about having a great time after you'd worked hard and you come home, let off a little steam, drink a little shine or whatever, have a good time, and it's 11 o'clock barn dancing music sort of thing. Mother-in-law. Sail away, lady, sail away. Don't you rock, daddy? 
popularity of this music is coming back around for the you know millennials and younger but uh, that feels like that's just been the last couple years really but i will tell you this i i do feel like we we were actually talking about it uh when we were traveling on the road not too long ago and there is a lot of interesting dynamic between really old time and and the bluegrass world and the, the slightly more conservative bluegrass world one thing that is very punk rock in my opinion about a lot of these old time tunes is the lyrical content is pretty rowdy. We're talking about drinking and being locked up in jail and, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of scandalous stuff, which is pretty rowdy in my opinion. You know, it's it's not necessarily that gospel approach that a lot of the bluegrass sell. You know, you're never going to see us on stage in blazers and tides. That's, you know, and so I think that adds to this whole idea. Yeah, that would look, the rowdy would look funny in blazers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't, wouldn't last long. We need to get us some uh, some Renser and suits. Up. That's right. That was the Hogslop String Band, playing a tune first recorded by the Grateful Dead in 1970, the new Speedway Boogie. They followed that with a couple of traditional tunes, Sail Away Ladies and Fire on the Mountain. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear lots more from the Hogslop String Band. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio.
Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Let's listen to some more old-time mayhem from the Hogslop String Band. These guys thrive on crossing genres, casting off the confines of straight old-time and bluegrass, delving into a deep repertoire of rock, folk, and original numbers that they affectionately call the Hogslop Sound. Listen to them rock out this old original, Reuben's Train.
show wearing his purple rain shirt, the Prince of Banjo, Mr. Daniel Beagley. Oh, that's what I like. Give me one hit. Give me two hits. Give me three hits. I don't know if he knows how to count. Ladies and gentlemen, on the fiddle from, Georgia. from Atlanta, Georgia, Mr. Kevin Martin. Playing that delicious mandolin and guitar, Mr. Will Harrison. He's the looks of the band. This fellow right here. This group in particular, it's it's very unique in the sense that we're all just good friends that play music together. And it's a blessing that we've had some momentum and some opportunity to go and play and, and to build what we do kind of based off that. This was never a band where we all sat down around a table and said, how can we make this happen? Um, we have just always focused on having a good time and playing music together and things have kind of naturally unfolded, which is great. But we've had some opportunities that we haven't said yes to because we also do like the opportunity to control our own destiny in mm -hmm. terms of that. And uh, and you're absolutely right. The industry has changed enough that you can go out and do your own thing and fund everything yourself and keep your ownership, which is a really smart smart way to, to get around. You know, Actually, there's a lot of members of this band that have worked in the music industry and Veterans of other areas. Of yeah, the, and we and we know our way around. Yeah. So even though we're just an old time rowdy band, we're pretty thoughtful about the way that we try to move forward and and to build the thing. Was a man from Tennessee, just as wicked as he could be. He never believed in church or Sunday school. All he believed was a social life, having a good time all of his life. Broke up the congregation when he said, and I'm gonna live in hell until I die. This life I'm living ain't been so very high. Sticks and stones, you can break all my bones, but you know you're gonna talk about me when I'm gone. I'm gonna
to church last Sunday morning. Everybody in the world was there but one, and he just went to hear them morning pray. When the bells began to ring and the choir began to sing, he broke up the congregation when he said, and I'm gonna live in a house till I Time is such a generic, generic term. Nobody really knows what it means anymore. And there are bands that may be considered to have an old-time feel, and really all they have is somebody with a banjo on stage wearing a hat, and that makes them old-time all of a sudden. You know, I mean, obviously there are groups like Mumford and Sons and these kinds of groups that kind of maybe hint at what we do. Now, obviously, I'm just going to say it: we're not a huge fan of that kind of music. But in some ways, it's nice that that opens the door to a larger crowd, and it definitely has something to do with younger people being more interested in traditional instruments, you know, that banjos and fiddles and wash tubs and things like that on stage, um, which is great that we have the opportunity to do that. Our hope is that we can stick to a lot of this tradition and, and just through some of these arrangement things we're talking about and through kind of making them our own and allow this music to have some more success and be more noticed by our peers and the millennials and the younger groups, you know, but still actually have our integrity and have the integrity of the songs be there.
this summer I might have drowned But I held my breath and it kicked my feet Moved my arms around I moved my arms around This summer I swam in the ocean Swam in a swimming pool Salt my wounds, careened my eyes I'm a self-destructive fool A self-destructive fool And the butterfly, the old Australian crawl, the old Australian crawl. Who's the winners out there? Let me hear you. Come on. This summer I've been in a public place in a reservoir to boot. At the latter I was informal. At the former, I wore my suit. I wore my swimming suit. This summer, I did swan dives, jackknives for you all. Once when you weren't looking, I did a So for us, it's important that it's got energy and it doesn't feel like it's behind glass and kind of this, I call it library old time.
you know that's a good term um, yeah because i think smithsonian exactly because we if we want to we are one of the few old-time bands i know of that if we wouldn't need to play it straight traditional we can and we love carrying on the tradition of the songs that way but if we want to get rowdier with it we can too and it seems like we connect with a lot of folks that way in terms of uh, just trying to bring a lot of energy and, and making sure that everybody's having a good time Nashville, Tennessee-based neo-traditional musicians, the Hogslop String Band, playing their version of the traditional tune Rattle Trap. The boys started that set with Rubens Train, following that with I'm Gonna Live Anyhow Until I Die, a song penned by Luden Wainwright III, the swimming song, and finishing up with Rattle Trap. Let's take another short break. When we come back, Charlie Sandage will continue his history of America's first national river. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Our historian friend Charlie Sandage has been undergoing an extensive study of the history of the beautiful Buffalo River. Here's this week's installment. In this 50th anniversary year of the creation of Buffalo River National Park, we've been celebrating, as we should, 
the natural phenomenon this piece of the Arkansas Ozarks is, a kaleidoscope of river, mountain, forest, wildlife, and history. But as visitors, we sometimes take for granted the people who make our visit possible. The food at our favorite restaurants doesn't magically appear, and performers at concerts don't take the stage without scores of scarcely recognized supporters. It's the same on the Buffalo National River. Being our Chief of Interpretive Services, Cassie Brandstetter. It's a big piece of public land, over 98,000 acres, 135 miles of river. And the National Park Service was brought on to manage the public land. And so we do have management areas in the river, if you will, those districts, as we call them, the upper district, that Boxley Valley area, the headwaters of the river coming down as it runs from west to east, the middle district of the area, the middle one-third of the river, and the lower one-third of the river, the lower district, all the way down to where the river dumps out into the White River. There are so many different types of employees who make the management of this public land possible. If you think of almost how a county or a town is managed, how you need someone to do every little piece of managing that land, that's what we have for a piece of public land, like our Buffalo National River here. Even before BNR management was officially in place, an Arkansas State Park had been operating. People had already been visiting to float and fish and camp, but rapidly rising numbers were expected, and they came. Zed Davenport was among the early National Park employees who helped prepare for such new realities. An area schoolteacher, his work at the park came in summers, leading Teenage Youth Conservation Corps members. Early decisions included what historical features should be kept and what should be removed. Stone fences built by early settlers, for example, would remain, but... Barbed wire fencing, web wire fencing, and so on like that was, uh, was to be removed. And so the YCC program, Youth Conservation Corps, 14 to 18-year-old kids, first job ever, they would, would go in and we'd tear down those fences and, and uh, remove them. With dramatic increases in visitation, many of the most, we might say, practical issues had to be considered. The supply of early portable toilets was soon overwhelmed. One of the big issues, big things we did is start to install vault toilets at all of the access points and, and the places that were popular. And those could be a little better maintained. And one of the most important things I think that, that I was involved with was restoration or preservation, I'll use another term, stabilization, of some of the structures that were left that were deemed historic. To treat those houses, the barns, the, the structures that the people used in their daily lives, and to represent a culture, a farming culture, a pioneer culture, to have that represented here today, it would be one of the most important things I think that this park could ever do. Without doubt, among the least visible, but absolutely essential BNR staffers work at park headquarters in management, planning, and public outreach roles. The ones we as visitors are most likely to see are ranger interpreters. Cassie Branstetter. Buffalo National River has some pretty awesome park rangers who work for it. And they do a wide variety of things, but they may do some things that you don't necessarily think of whenever you picture a park ranger out standing by the river. 
One of the key aspects to our positions is the education and outreach portion of what we do. We love to be on the river, to be next to the river, on the trails, not just so we can experience this beautiful outdoor setting ourselves, but so we can share it with others, share it with school groups. Anytime a teacher wants to reach out to us and have us work with their classroom, work with their school, and after-school programs, overnight stays at the park, or even just having a ranger come to the classroom to share that unique piece of ecosystem that they have in their backyard. We love to be a part of those experiences. We also put on these educational, what we call interpretive programs, where we interpret these amazing resources found in the park to the general public right next to the river, at our campgrounds, you can often find a ranger at an amphitheater in the evening, just waiting for folks to come up and ask questions, really to inspire them to not only be curious about what they saw in that visit, but to start to be curious about what they may see in the next visit and to learn to be stewards of this public land. And that's such a big portion of what we do as park rangers through our programming with the public by putting on guided hikes and tours of the historic buildings we have here. We keep this culture going in such a unique fashion. We're so excited to work with local community in order to make these programs happen and to continue to talk and tell the story of this area. All of the interpretive activity can't take place at stops along trails. In each of the park's three administrative divisions is at least one facility where visitors can gather for in-depth programming. We do these educational interpretive programs centered around three different areas. The Buffalo Point in the lower section of our river. That has one of our biggest campgrounds and a beautiful amphitheater where we meet in the summertime in the evenings. But it's also a great opportunity for us to connect with local school systems. We have a great relationship with the Yellville after-school program, where our rangers connect with those children, sometimes on a weekly basis, in that one county that connects to the river. In the middle of the river, in the middle district as we call it, the Tyler Bend Visitor Center is a premier structure for folks to come in and get information, to be orientated during the recreational visit, but also to join us for some of those educational programs too, to take a guided hike to the Collier Homestead. We have those really great historic opportunities in the upper district of the park, that Boxley Valley historic area with those pristine pastoral locations with the historic structures there. There are some really nice historic building tours that we provide, especially in the fall of the Boxley Mill. Some educational and interpretive programming isn't funded directly out of the park's budget. The Buffalo National Rivers Partners Group is key to that. Terry Martindale, board president of the Partners. One of the major ways that we're spending our money right now, of course, in cooperation and at the request of the park, is the effort to renovate the cemeteries that are within the park. And there are many cemeteries in the park. We uh, 
pay for things like plants for the native plant beds or for the Special Olympics items that Special Olympics need when we have those fun events uh, in the park. Uh, We help with the STEM camp. We pay for the services of the North Arkansas College staff for the STEM camp, which is the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics uh, that happen within the park. We spend money on our brochures, which are educational. We put in various places along the river and in outlets and different businesses, and we we have a new brochure out. I can pick those up at any campground. We'll set up booths at various festivals. We'll give money. Right now, we've, we've given a donation to the Snowball Adventure Race that's in Searcy County. Snowball is renovating their very old uh, community building. used to be a school there. One other interpretive component in the Boxley Valley moves around on four feet. A reestablished herd of elk is among the most popular and most photographed features in the entire park, and they require careful attention and support. Much the same when visitors move around the park, hiking along trails, floating, fishing, or camping, we sometimes require special attention. Sometimes those things just happen. Routine first aid assistance is close by most anywhere in the park, but what about help in more serious situations? Ranger interpreter Lauren Ray. Buffalo National River has a pretty extensive search and rescue team. And what many people don't realize is that it's not just National Park Service personnel who come out there to respond to emergencies when they occur in the park. Actually, our search and rescue team is made up primarily of volunteers from the local area. Um, We've got local volunteers. We've also got several partner agencies in our community who respond to those calls when they come in. In those isolated cases, when a large team is needed... We've got volunteers from the Mennonite Disaster Service. They often bring 10 to 20 volunteers anytime we call for their help. Occasionally, we'll have the local fire departments, local police departments, sheriff's offices that will come out and uh, participate and cooperate on some of these search and rescue incidents. Arkansas Game and Fish often provides personnel to help us. Another group of people essential to developing and refining BNR's programming is, well, us, the park's visitors. Cassie Branstetter. The feedback from the community, the feedback from visitors, the feedback from anybody in the nation who has something to say about this public land is so important because that's, that's exactly what national parks are. National parks are pieces of land set aside for American citizens. And American citizens have the ability to provide their input on how they're managed, on what ways in which they want to experience, recreate, enjoy what's been set aside for them. And that's within reach almost anywhere in the park and via BNR's website and social media. Like all our national parks, Buffalo National River belongs to all of us. Ed Alexander, who is featured in another segment of our series celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Buffalo National River Park, says it pretty simply. By all means, go. Uh, Many, many times I go down there and see license plates from everywhere. Uh, It's very popular in Texas and Oklahoma, Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, Tennessee. 
uh, go visit it. Go to the uh, National Park Service website and they can give you great information about hiking trails, about how to float, where to put in, outfitters to use, where to camp, uh, if you don't want to camp, places to stay. And it's like I said, it, it's 138 miles. It, it covers a great deal of the state and, and they're just beautiful places along. You don't have to go on an epic hike. There are lots of great short hikes. You don't have to float the entire 138 miles. Get on an inner tube and paddle around and enjoy it. Thanks, Charlie. Let's close out this week's show with an example of how the Hogslop String Band can put an old-time slant on just about any song. Here's a totally different version of a song recorded by the band Crazy Elephant back in 1969 that you might just recognize.
Yes, that was the Hogslop String Band playing their take on an old classic from 1969, Gimme Gimme Good Lovin'. I hope you've enjoyed this wild and woolly music we've played for you this week. We'll be back at the same time next week with something completely different from the heart of the Ozarks, Mountain View, Arkansas. This is your host, Dave Smith. I'll see you next week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from Arkansas State Parks, a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. The Committee of 100 proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. And by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar. Mm-hmm.